Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. My name is Liz. I'm one of the pastors here at Life, and happy 2024. It's good to join this new year with you, and um, just to highlight uh, Saturday's event, Hello, Goodbye. It's a two-session event, 9.30 to noon in the morning. I give you like a personal reflection guide that you can, um, it's kind of like we just spread out, we go through the questions, grab a journal, and you reflect on the past year and your aspirations and intentions for the next year, what God is doing and highlighting to you. And then we break for lunch. So if you sign up in the app, you say that you want to be here for lunch or not. And then there's the afternoon session where we get creative and I have um, those uh, like boards that I buy from Hobby Lobby and we, you know, cut out magazine things, however you want to do it. If if that's not your thing, don't come. But if that is your thing, come. And we kind of put into visual uh, art like what what it is you hope to do this next year. Um, So that's a fun event I love doing every year, and it kind of gets me oriented towards this next year. So a group of movie engineers, they researched the 10 most dramatic sounds in any given show. And here's the list. A baby's first cry, the blast of a siren, the thunder of waves breaking on rocks, the roar of a forest fire, a foghorn, the slow drip of water, the galloping of horses, the sound of a distant train whistle, the howl of a dog, and the wedding march. Now, out of all of those sounds, one one sound causes the most emotional response than any other. And in in fact, it has the power to bring forth almost every human emotion. Sadness, envy, regret, sorrow, tears, and overwhelming joy. Do you know which one it is? The wedding march. The wedding march. Now, I have three young daughters, okay? And if we were to put on some wedding music right now, and I would imagine them coming down the aisle, like, I <laughs> look at Dan, right? Like, you can, you can feel that, like, oh, I could start crying, right? Because it's so emotional in so many ways. And emotions are a powerful force. They can compel us towards action. They influence our daily decisions from small to large. Emotions help us better understand ourselves. They help us connect with other people. And emotions actually play a big role in spirituality. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to lay a foundation for the marks of a thriving disciple. And we're going to follow along with some of the content from Pete Cesaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And if you want to grab a copy, you want to read it yourself, you're, I, I recommend you to do that. But basically, he states that the church has produced shallow disciples. We're like a mile wide, but an inch deep. And he says, 
We've done this because we, we can often look spiritual on the outside without paying attention to the deeper stuff on the inside, right? We can, we can serve, we can know scripture, we can pray, but inside we can be a hot mess and never tell anybody about that. As Jesus followers... It's our desire to come alive in our whole self, our whole being with God. And Jesus, he tells us in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that means the wholeness of who we are, fullness of who we are. We're created physical, emotional, social, spiritual, and intellectual beings. And we can't live a full life and just deny our feelings. And a lot of times in, in the church, we've gotten this wrong idea that to deny our feelings is somehow spiritual, right? And we've tolerated a lot of emotional immaturity as a consequence. We, we know people and we know stories of, of people of leaders that are highly gifted publicly, right? But privately, they might be a detached spouse or an angry parent. And there's some things going on internally that haven't been looked at. And we can allow leaders to function publicly and lead these private reactivity kind of lives where it harms other people. And so we can get caught in saying what we do for God is more important than who we are with God. And Paul spells out really clearly in the New Testament, hey, you know what the standard is? It's love. Love must be our highest measure. In all the ways we want to grow in spiritual gifts and knowledge of God, you know what else has to grow with that? Love. Love has to grow with it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Spiritual gifts without love, Paul says, is worthless because love is supreme and lasts forever. So our love for God can be seen by our love for people. And, and sometimes that can be hard to swallow because we think like we can really love God, but kind of keep people and our feelings kind of at a distance. But the two are integrated. Now, some of this idea comes even from like church history and philosophy. You know, the first century rabbis, they really emphasized worship of God to be primary above other people, okay? So 
they, they, when you came to the temple, if you brought a sacrifice and you realized like you had some beef with somebody else, they would say, you know, finish your sacrifice, finish worshiping God, then go reconcile, right? God is first. But then Jesus comes on the scene and like Jesus always does, he kind of turns things upside down, right? And he gives us a different way. He says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come offer your sacrifice to God. You know, our emotional and relational life matters to God. It matters so much that he says, stop what you're doing and go put, put attention to that. But we can ignore and just live kind of that outward, shiny Christian life. Even we can trace this de-emphasis of emotions back to Plato, the Greek philosopher. He thought that the body was bad, the spirit was good. And so we have kind of been influenced by that and somehow come to the conclusion that to be emotional is somehow less than spiritual. But we follow a God who made us emotional beings, who made us in the image of God. And Jesus, he comes to earth and he shows us very clear that, clearly this aspect of our humanity. And when you stop and think about it, it's actually quite astonishing. So, for example, Jesus is soon to be going to the cross. And he stops in Jerusalem and enters the city which is the religious capital of Israel, okay? This is the home of the Jewish people that he came for. First and foremost, even before you and I, Gentile believers, are called into his family. This is the place where he came, okay? So he comes to Jerusalem, the city, and as he approaches the city, he starts weeping because of their <clears throat> spiritual state, because of their distance from God. Now, have, have you ever weeped? It's not like the, <laughs> like crying. Weeping is like, it's messy, right? You've ever weeped? It's like, <gasps> you know, I mean, you're making noise. It's a little out-of-body feeling, right? You got snot and tears, and it's like, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a hot mess, right? Okay, so, so Jesus starts weeping for the people of this city. And what amazes me about that is that he knew it was going to happen, okay? The Old Testament foretold that the Jews would reject Jesus. And, you know, I'm kind of more naturally intellectually bent than emotionally bent, Okay, and I would have, if I was Jesus, which I'm not, but I would rely on my intellect and I would rely on the knowledge that like, hey, I know these people are going to reject me, so that's just the way it's going to be. Why bother like having my heart ripped out and weeping over these people? Why bother being compassionate, you know? Like I even prophesied 
Or I even told Isaiah to prophesy and write this down before I came to earth that these people were going to reject me. That's Jesus, right? He already knew the state of these people, but his heart is moved to compassion and he weeps for them. Luke 19 says this, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and the peace is hidden from your eyes. His heart was aligned with the heart of the Father and what grieved the Father grieved him. And he physically felt those feelings. You know, Jesus got angry too when the religious leaders chose to be um, too focused on rules above compassionate love. He was frustrated, and he healed a man on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders were not too happy about this, and uh, this is what happened. Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he notices a man with a deformed hand, and since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies, they watched him closely, and if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So Jesus told the man to come here and stand in front of everyone, and he told his critics, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. So Jesus he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. He was angry and yet felt this compassion break in his heart for them. And so he told the man to hold out his hand, and he restored the man's hand. Jesus felt deeply, and yet he didn't let those emotions keep him stuck from doing the things of his father. Some more examples are that Jesus was indignant, consumed with zeal. He was troubled. He was greatly distressed. He was very sorrowful. He was depressed. He was deeply moved and grieved. He sighed, he wept, he sobbed, he groaned, he was in agony, he was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced very greatly and was full of joy. He greatly desired and he loved. That's not a flat Jesus. He is very human in the complexity of what it means to be human. And I think this is what makes him so precious and relatable to us. <clears throat> you know, often when we feel uncomfortable, emotions rise up. We like to kind of just, you know, throw them overboard and find something to be distracted by, right? The advantage Jesus had is he didn't have a little black box in his pocket all the time that he could pull out and, you know, just uh, kind of distract himself for a little while, right? You know, Jonah tried this method of escapism in the Old Testament, being thrown overboard. He was running away from God and his feelings, okay, because God told him to go to a certain place, to bring a certain message to these people, and he was like, nope, bought, bought a one-way ticket on a boat to the opposite direction and thought, this is how I'm going to get away from God, right? 
And so it didn't quite work out for him, as you can imagine. And um, this great storm breaks out when he's on that boat. And the waves are crashing and the, the boat is being filled up with water. And Jonah's just trying to escape it all by being in, in the bottom of the boat sleeping. You ever take a nap when you just want to get away from it all? That's what Jonah does. He says, I'm going to go sleep, see if that helps. But then the, the captain and the crew, they wake him up, and, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm afraid. I'm running away from God. You got me. And I really think if you just throw me overboard, it'll probably fix things. So just go ahead and do that. And so he gets thrown overboard, and it does. The storm stops, and the men are saved. But God sends this large fish to swallow up Jonah and, and still deal with what he's trying to run away from. So when we throw our feelings overboard, you know, they disappear for a little bit, it seems like, but then they become anchors that kind of hold us in place and, and keep us stuck. Because your emotions will surface when life throws you enough stress, <laughs> enough uncomfortable situations, uncertainty, crises, right? Then those emotions surface and they keep us stuck. But when we, when we slow down, when we choose to be with our emotions and with Jesus, we can allow those feelings to safely surface and we can bring them to Jesus. And Jesus talks to us through our emotions because he made us this way. So our emotions communicate things to us and they communicate things that we need, things that we can ask God for good things. And so during this series, as we look at the marks of a thriving disciple, it's about who we are in our whole selves, that this is transformation, ongoing transformation that we can experience in the context of community, that we become more and more like Jesus and more alive in him. Romans 8, 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are to become like Jesus in the fullness of our humanity. <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So in a lot of ways, we have to learn, relearn some ways to be human that change us and transform us into more alive disciples, that we are mature and fully grown because we're not just 
throwing our feelings overboard and ignoring them. When you say yes to following Jesus, this seed of the image of Christ is is planted in you. And at that time, you are given everything you need for life and godliness. But we have to nurture that seed for it to grow so that we can become fully like the image of Jesus. We can just follow the ways of the world, and that, time, that a lot of times um, does not nurture the image of Jesus in, it, in us, right? When more is better and busy is better, and we just go, 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 and we live this very outside life. But there are things that we can do, practices that we can do as a community, as followers of Jesus, that nurture this image of Jesus in us. And so that's what some of the foundation of what we're going to be working through in this book. What are some ways that we can actually live transformed lives? Not just outward, shiny Christian lives, but really deep transformation. And so I'm going to um, actually lead you in, in, you know, a practice today that connects to our call to action. So I don't know if you've ever seen a feelings wheel, but there is one that you can find online, um, <clears throat> and I have it on the next slide, the website. It's called feelingswheel.com. It's not even that hard. You can remember it right now, feelingswheel.com. And the only thing they have on that website is the feelings wheel, okay? Um, <clears throat> and so what I want you to do this week and what we're going to do in just a minute is use this wheel to notice and name some feelings you have this week. Okay, that might be a stretching exercise. It's okay. You can, you can go to the red and you can tell God how frustrated you are at me. It's okay. He can handle it. I can handle it. And so you just use this wheel. Okay, there's these, the basic emotions right in the middle, and then they kind of grow out, and then they grow out to more descriptive. And sometimes it's hard for us to, like, name those more descriptive emotions. But we can often feel like, you know, the, the main inner core right there, yeah, I'm angry, or I just feel bad, but I don't quite know why, or, yeah, I feel sad, I don't quite know why, but that's how I feel. Or I feel happy. There's a lot of range in happy that it's really helpful to be like, oh yeah, this is some good ways to grow. I want to feel more of those feelings, you know? Um, so notice and name some feelings that you have this week and bring them to Jesus. All right, I'm going to ask um, Matt to come up and play some um, music behind us. But here is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask, I'm going to read through a familiar passage, and this is Psalm 23. You guys know Psalm 23, right? And I'm just going to kind of read <clears throat> uh, like two verses at a time, and then we're just going to pause, and you're just going to kind of wait and you know, briefly, like 30 seconds, um, notice and name what feeling you have. Just talk to Jesus about it. 
This might be uncomfortable, guys. It's okay. You can be frustrated. You can be like, that's the longest exercise that Liz has ever made me do. But it's good. It's good for your soul to do this with, with Jesus. So we're just going to... We're just going to, I'm just going to read Psalm 23. So um, you can put the feelings wheel back up. I don't know if you can see it very well because it is kind of small. Even if you want to pull it up on your phone, you're welcome to do that too. Feelingswheel.com. Because this is, this is a good reference. Sometimes you need some words to kind of inform you because we're not so good at naming and identifying. Okay. Um, so you can glance at the feelings wheel, too, to kind, of, to kind of help you, okay? But when you're not glancing at the feelings wheel, I want you to just, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes, sit back in your chair, relax your body, just breathe in the goodness of God, and breathe out any anxiety you have in doing this exercise. Just breathe in the goodness of God as I read. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. So just imagine yourself in one of those green pastures with Jesus. And maybe there's some anxiety rising up because you're clutching your to-do list or the things that you have to do. And Jesus just invites you to give that list, those tasks, those things to him for a moment and rest. He tells you to lay down and rest with him. What feeling do you have as he tells you to rest? Just about 30 seconds. Verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. What dark valley might you be in right now? What loss have you experienced or even a fear of losing? What feelings do you have when you think about the dark valley you might be in?
Verse 5, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Now imagine Jesus' presence comforting and protecting you in the midst of your valley or your enemies, the stress, the frustrations. What feelings do you have in the, in the presence of Jesus? Just give you about 30 seconds. Verse 6, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, what feeling do you have as God blesses you and leaves you with his goodness and his love? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for making us complex beings that feel, that experience joy and sadness. I pray that you would give us the courage and the ability to bring those feelings to you, to live below the surface of our lives with you. Thank you for meeting us in every part of our being, that your image is planted in us. Jesus, we worship you and we love you. In your name, amen. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, Go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org.